With kids around, me time runs out fast. Don't waste valuable child-free minutes on a drink run. Instead, get Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly has the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes. Get date night rolling before your parents bring him back. How about a living room slip and paint? They'll never know you stole their crayons. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Please be seated. Uh, thank you. You seem nervous. Well, uh, yes, I guess I am. Why? Well, why not? Uh, not a time like this. What is there about a time like this to create what appears to be a state of emotional imbalance? Oh, I'm balanced. I'm perfectly balanced. Uh, absolutely symmetrical. It's just, uh... What is it about this time? It's a different time, a time of change and upheaval, and that's certainly true for the fitness and healthcare industry. In this episode, we're going to discuss uh, healthcare policy and have a really deep dive into it. But before we get into this episode, we're going to hear from a few leaders in our industry, Liz Clark and Francis Narek about things like workforce education and appealing to lawmakers and really understanding how important our industry of fitness is and how we can be a bigger part and a better part of the healthcare industry. Well, I think that we have a lot of opportunity to really change the narrative about our industry and where we are today and where we're going to go in the future. I think that we have talked a lot to ourselves and we ourselves understand what we're doing uh, to make our lives healthier, our world healthier, everyday people feeling better just by movement. But it's about cracking the code and finding the champions that are going to help carry our narrative to the future and to other audiences. And so again, we know that exercise makes us healthier, exercise is medicine, that we are going to be a stronger world the more we move, but we need others to understand that our industry is really about that. We are not maybe old perceptions of of that we were doing this because we're, we're vain or because we just care about how we look. And, and maybe there is an element and some truth to that, but the bigger thing is about just, and we've seen this unfortunately with this time of crisis with COVID that underlying conditions like obesity and diabetes have led to all the deaths. And it's, it's a horrible reality and it's, but it's, Unfortunately, I mean, if there's any good that's come of it, I think that the the world has woken up to realize that we need to be more active. And so we as an industry have such a great opportunity to, to arrive on the scene with, with lawmakers in the US, with the WHO, with all these governing bodies to, to have the data, to have the stats, to have the narrative to talk about that again, all the good that we're doing, because there's nothing bad about our industry. There's nothing bad about it. And, and that's, and it's irrefutable. So let's think about, you know, how can we get other champions on board? And, and like I said earlier, we talk a lot to ourselves and it's about how do we go beyond that, which is why 
formalizing advocacy is so important. It's why we need to be talking to our lawmakers in our states. It's why we need to be coming to Washington, D.C. It's why, again, we're working with the WHO internationally and, and being that trusted voice is important. Yeah, you, you need to have this consistency in workforce development. I think that's the, big, the biggest thing. So when we talk about workforce development, it is not just certification. It's much broader than that. So there's parts of it where you're talking about um, how do I adequately prepare for the workforce and how do I develop those knowledge, skills, and abilities? That's one. The second one is the independent assessment of that, um, which is like what certifications and certification and licensing bodies do. And the other one is kind of the... Uh, the other two parts are kind of like lifelong learning or professional development so and, and continuing competency. What I mean by that is like once you're certified or licensed or whatever it is, um, how do I how do I ensure that the stuff that I know when I was certified originally that I was minimally competent, how do I know I remain competent in my working career because the industry changes. So how do I how do I do that? And then the fourth piece piece is when you're looking at is the disciplinary actions that get, get tied to it. So what I'm talking about by that is, you know, um, how do I know beyond just the knowledge, skills, and abilities of being able to be a safe practitioner, how do I know that they remain ethical? So for example, um, I came in and uh, there was, a, I was a violent personal trainer, whatever that means. Uh, my certification was withdrawn um, by a certification body. Uh, how do I know I can't just go to another organization and get certified by another organization? You know, how, how do I keep the public safe? So if you can get all four of those pieces, you need to have them tied together in order to, if you're wanting to kind of really professionalize the industry. How do I prefer, prefer the workforce? How do I, how do I determine competency? How to remain competent over time? Um, um, and then like the ethical considerations is like, how do I know that those individuals are safe and effective over their work, entire working career? And then what is the disciplinary action that gets connected to that? Um, when it comes down to it, it's like registration is probably one of the best ways to go about doing that. And you look at things, how like registered dietitians work, you look how things like registered uh, nurses, um, it's like they, that process is a really kind of public facing space where um, they, are, uh, they are independently verified that they're certified and here's where they're practicing. And so really kind of, pulls all, all those pieces together um, and how you prepared and you remain pumped over time. This is Mike Stack, host of the Wellness Paradox podcast. This is Dr. Darian Parker, host of Dr. D's social network. And this is the, the front, front line, line of, of fitness. fitness. One thing that regardless of what you're into, what your uh, beliefs are, ideology, whatever it may be, no one likes healthcare in the current state that it is. No. I think no. we can agree upon this. No one thinks it's great what's happening. So let's do kind of a high level overview, kind of the current state of the economics of our healthcare system. Um, and we're gonna have some great people talk about this as well, uh, who probably know way more than us about all this, but... Uh, 
without a doubt. Yeah, with, without a doubt. And my disclaimer here is that you know I am and have always been a fitness professional. I am not a healthcare economist or anything of that nature. But I've learned enough about this to at least be educated as to the environment that's going on around us, which I think is a valuable lesson that industry needs to learn. I think what COVID showed us is that the fact we had our head down in the four walls of our our gyms all day long meant we were very ill prepared to deal with what else was happening in the world. And, and now I think we realize that we need to change our, our perspective. And part of that becomes understanding the economics of our healthcare system. So I think the first and most important number for people to know, and this is not present day because everything has been skewed by COVID, but basically you know, pre-pandemic spending on healthcare in this country was 17.4% of our gross domestic product. Uh, that is more than twice the average for any other industrialized nation on the planet. I think the, um, the OEDC average is somewhere around like 8.3, So we're spending more on healthcare in this country. And, and for those of you that are out there listening, despite what, what you just said, some of you might think, oh, well, this is America. We're paying more because we're getting better, better healthcare. By any objective measure of health and healthcare in this country, uh, we are not in the top 10, top 20, top 30. We're not in the top you know, 15 for life expectancies, physician wait times are high, cost of healthcare is high. It is, it is not a good system. We're paying more and you know, we're getting less. And again, like you said, you ask anyone, how happy are you with the healthcare you're getting? You're gonna hear the vast majority of people talk about how unhealth, uh, un, un, well, probably on how unhealthy, <laughs> yeah. but how unhappy yeah. they are. You will hear some people talk about how happy they are with healthcare. And those are the people that are paying for it out of their own pocket, that are doing concierge medicine. And they're just saying, hey, it's $500 to see you. Here it is. I want to see you tomorrow at three. Can you do it? Well, you know, what kind of system have we created where, you know, only the wealthy can get the kind of care that right. they need? So, so that's the first thing to understand is that. The second thing to understand is that we have this weird kind of amalgamation of payers in this country. Uh, you have you know, private payers, uh, you know, the health insurers, the mm -hmm. blues, the Aetna's, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And then you have CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that uh, do Medicare and Medicaid. And a lot of the shifts that happen in the private payer landscape um, are driven by things that are changed from CMS. So you have, you know, the governmental entity that is basically driving some of the policy change for the private insurers just by virtue of the fact that they make those changes first. The providers then accommodate those changes and then negotiate similar scenarios with the private payers. So you've got some complexity there of, you know, competing interests. Uh, and then you know, in general, you have a system where the consumer does not actually know what it really costs. Like if you think about healthcare, healthcare <laughs> is one of those things where it's the only thing you buy that you're not told what it costs prior to. Like, you know, imagine this for a second. Imagine you take your car into an oil chain shop. They start doing some work on it. They get done and they say, well, that'll be $3,284. And you're like, what? I thought I was just here for an oil change. <laughs> but the information as to what it cost, it was never made available to you. So you've got that as a complexity. I'm going to get to a couple more complexities and then we'll, we'll end the painful part of the conversation. Because, <laughs> like the more I talk about it, like 
the more it's work so up bad. I, it's I get because so it's just like it's it's not good. So there's not price transparency. Although Congress has tried to change that. Uh, but even though Congress has put regulations in place that says, hey, this needs to be relatively visible at some place on your website as a healthcare provider, I think I read a New York Times story that said it took 26 clicks on a website to actually get to pricing. So we, we don't know what it cost. And then you've got this unique situation where the there is different incentives for the different stakeholders in the process. And, and like, follow my logic on this. For the, and they're all disconnected. For the healthcare provider, they want to do the thing that's going to make the patient the healthiest and maximizes their economic benefit. Those are the things that they want. The patient wants the thing that's going to maximize their health the most. And they really don't care what it costs because, for the most part, they have a, a health insurer that's going to pay for it. The health insurer just wants to try to keep costs down. So, all of the incentives are out of sync with one another. It's, it's a very, very bizarre, you know, convoluted system. And in the last episode, we talked about blowing everything up. Yeah. If anything needs to be completely blown up, it's our healthcare system. But I don't, man, it's just like- How do you do that? I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> just like, it's, it's like one of those questions that like gives you that uncomfortable feeling inside. Like what happened if like the earth was never here and you start to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole in your brain? Like it's the same thing here. So- I don't know the answer to that, but people, but the healthcare system is trying to get a hold of it. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to control costs. Like costs are out of control. So things are happening, such as uh, bundled payments and capitation. And again, I don't want to get too much in the weeds in this, but basically sure. what they're saying is, hey, before, if you were going to get a hip replacement, they charged you for the anesthetic and they charged you for the replacement. They charged you for the, the care afterwards. Now they're just saying, Hey, you're going to get $30,000 for this hip. You know, do the best you can with this person because the more care they need, the more it, it's going to cost uh, you because we're only paying you so much. Yep. So that exists. And then you also have part of this model um, that's referred to as ACOs, accountable care organizations where this is a, a cost sharing model on savings. They basically say to healthcare systems, hey, if you save money relative to the cost we're expecting, we'll share those costs with you. So health insurers are starting to say, hey, we need to control our costs. Both the government and the private payers are saying that. So saying all of that, I think what we do know is that if people are healthier, they are gonna consume less healthcare. Bottom line, I can't think of any other simplistic way to resolve the healthcare economic issues that are facing us other than make our population healthier and reduce the demand for healthcare. Because if we could reduce the demand, then this becomes a completely different economic equation. Completely. But it, it has to start on the preventative end of the spectrum. It has to start by you know, either not becoming chronically diseased in the first place or managing it with less intensive lifestyle interventions versus the very, very costly surgical or pharmacological interventions that are driving our healthcare costs. I mean, again, to an unsustainable level, yeah. physical, physical inactivity costs us as a nation, something like $117 billion per year with a B. Right. And we're just talking about, you know, go out and take a walk. Now, again, yeah. that, that, those are big steps for people. And that's why we need professionals in place to try to help them. But um, we are at a point where 
you know, the policy climate and the policy environment is, is hopefully starting to shift. So that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. And that's just a little, that's a drop in the bucket as to what we need to understand. So I say all that to say healthcare is changing because the economics are resulting in it changing. If fitness professionals and us as an industry, we want to be a part of this healthcare delivery system and equation, we have to understand uh, these dynamics, at least on a basic level for everyone. And then the people in the C-suites of these organizations, the people who are involved in strategy and development, they need to be as savvy on these things as many healthcare economists and, and healthcare executives are. Because again, the whole premise here is that you know we are frontline healthcare mm-hmm. professionals. And if, if we are that as fitness professionals, then that means our, our managers, our supervisors, our executives are not you know, fitness managers or fitness executives, they're, they're healthcare executives. So we need, we need a good operational understanding of the current state and then, you know, where we're going. Most definitely. I think it's, there's so many layers to this, but it's kind of like, like you said, as we're moving into more disease state, that train keeps going downhill a little bit more. It's just going to continue to fill up hospitals and Mm -hmm. clinics and things of that nature. And it's getting the health of our nation needs to become a very large focus. Mm-hmm. It needs to come into clear vision like, hey, we need to think about the health of our nation and how that cascading effect will also change the healthcare system on its mm-hmm. own with that. But obviously, there's lots of lots of problems like the, tr- the price transparency has always been my biggest gripe is like, mm-hmm. I know I, you make a decision a lot of times based off of the pricing on something. You know, if you go to the grocery store, you may get some, obviously, you know, pricing is crazy at grocery stores right now and stuff like that. But you make decisions like maybe I'll get this thing versus that because the price is a little too much for me. But if yeah. you go and you get a procedure and you go, well, we'll see what happens when they send the bill. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a surprise party, not in a good way. No, it's never a good surprise. It's never like, oh my gosh, it was less than I thought it was. It's always way more than you thought it was. Every single time you open that envelope and you just hold your breath and then you go, oh my goodness. And even if you have good health insurance, the bill's still huge (laughs) for that. And then you read through it. You don't even know what half the stuff is. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said, even if you have good health insurance, because you know, we're having this conversation here, you know, as if, you know, everyone has, you know, reasonably good quality health right. insurance or even has health insurance. And there's right. a portion of our country that, that doesn't even have it. And, you know, the, the people that have likely the worst or no health insurance are the people who are the most chronically diseased, who are probably the biggest burden on our healthcare system from an economics perspective. Yes. So it, it, it is a very, you know, backwards equation uh, that we're faced with here. And all that to say, I can't see another way out of it other than, you know, working to get our population, you know, healthier. And that doesn't mean I'm sitting here saying it, nor do I think you believe this, that everyone needs to be a a 23 BMI or something like that. You know, we need to get people to move a little bit more. You know, we need to shift the environments that people live in. We need top-down policy level changes that make, can help people become more active, that can help people have healthier access to food. And so, you know, not only do we need to understand the healthcare system in our country 
and, and the policy around it, because you know, we eventually are moving towards being a part of that system. But we also need to advocate for policy level changes to the environments in which we you know, live, work and, and play to ensure that you know, we are set up for success. You know, in some of the inner cities, I'm here in Michigan, you know, and some parts of Detroit are great now. There's a Whole Foods down there and everything. There are other neighborhoods where the only places people have to shop are 7-Elevens. And you know, what are your options at a place like that? So there, right. there are very real, uh, you know, what we refer to as social determinants of health considerations here, you know, that need to be made. And, you know, who's costing the hospitals the most money? It's the people that show up in the ER with some type of, you know, acute condition from a, a chronic uh, cardiometabolic condition. Maybe there's somebody who's got severe low blood sugar, severe high blood sugar. They show up there, they're admitted, they don't have insurance and the hospital just has to write that off. So, you know, we have to realize that, you know, that there's, there's a, a socioeconomic status element to this conversation as well, which again, that, that muddies the waters. It even makes it more complex, but fundamentally speaking, it all goes back to if we are healthier, we simply cost the system less and we're less of a burden on the system. Yeah. And what's interesting about the socioeconomic situation in healthcare is then there becomes this question, what whose responsibility is to take care of creating a better lifestyle for people and those who's creating a better lifestyle for people in Flint, Michigan? Yeah. Is it the government? Is it private uh, folks, investors, is it through gentrification of neighborhoods? What, what is it? And I think that's another messy situation because then you think about it from a government aspect, people are like, especially right now, hell no, like yeah. stay away from me on yeah. all, everybody, like most, like that's another universal thing. People are like, no way, we don't trust you. Yeah. Like this not, and it's gonna happen in like a hundred years because it works so slow <laughs> type of thing. It's just so much, it's heavy, the feeling. Yeah, you know? it is. It is heavy. And, you know, there is this whole, the, the interplay between, you know, the, the are, you are a product of your environment mm -hmm. versus the personal responsibility narrative that's out right. there. And, and, you know, you know, all ideological views aside, they're both right to some degree. Mm -hmm. Yes, you do have a personal responsibility to try to be healthier, but you also are going to play the hand you're dealt every right. single time. Right. And so, you know, we, we have to figure out a way to, to balance that out. And again, this is where there's so many opportunities for our industry. You know, health equity is a big, big thing right now. You hear about this more and more and more. When I'm in the boardrooms in the C-suite of health systems, it comes up in every conversation. And so our, the question that we need to answer as an industry, you know, in amongst all these other questions is, you know, how do we start to get into that other 80% of the population that is the part of the population that, you know, cannot really afford all of our high level services? How do we get creative about community outreach and intervention with those populations? Because if we can start to show tangible outcomes with those populations, those are going to result in the most profound impacts on public health and this, this untenable economic equation we have. So it's, you know, there's a lot here. And I, and I promise that we will, we will wrap this up for all of you <laughs> in, in some sort of coherent thoughts and actions. And of course, of course, that have a lot of people talk about this that are, yes. are way smarter than we are. But, you know, there's, this is just a nuanced thing. Like, look, if nothing else, I hope what everyone takes away from this conversation is that, 
you know, your health is not just simply a matter of you need to, you know, move more and eat less. Yes, on its most reductionistic level, that's what we're saying. But there's so many factors that result in that happening or not happening that, you know, we need to consider, you know, that entire ecosystem before we start to pass judgment on, you know, why somebody is or is not healthy. Yeah. And then I'm always, I always have a conversation with people like, well, what is health? Like, what is, we need to operationally define what is health. We have health care, but what's the care of? The yeah. health needs to be defined in a much more specific way. And, and honestly, for a lot of people, and maybe they're socialized into this, and, and we're part of that problem, yeah. is it's always yeah. about food and exercise. Oh, yeah. you're healthy versus understanding how important sleep is, how important maybe uh, spirituality is, environmental health mental health, which is finally coming to yeah. the forefold. Like, it's like, we're trying to inch our way into what health actually means. Like we're trying. And I feel yeah. confident. This actually feel, I feel good about, cause I'm like, okay, the whole person is starting to become important to people. And that okay. also goes with people are seeing that it's correlating into how they feel about their jobs is too. Mm-hmm. You're not going to treat me like trash anymore. I'm not going to be in a place where I'm going to be it's going to be toxic. It's going to emotionally destroy me every day for that. So I feel like that's coming online. How we shape that, I think, will be very important in our healthcare policy. You, you, yeah, you nailed it. And it's interesting that that, that comes up in this point in the discussion because, because I agree. Because here we're sitting here talking about you know, we need to be part of healthcare, and healthcare is important. Well, you know, okay, great. You know, we're caring for health. Well, what is health? You know, kind of getting back to those those first principles. And you know, for years it was kind of the World Health Organization. You know, you know, kind of an absence of you know disease or infirmity or something like that. And now I feel like, and I'm curious what you think on this. Mm-hmm. But it, the evolution seems to be, you know, even away from the term, you know, health, and more to the term, you know, wellness or well-being, because you know that starts to incorporate the whole person a lot more so than, than just simply, you know, health, because on some, on some level, there's no real objective measure of what health, you know, yeah. truly is. It's interesting. It's one of those things we, we can, we understand when it's not there, like we could see the absence of it in individuals, but we, it's really hard to put our finger on the presence of it. And I do think we are moving in the right direction when we start to shift from, you know, health, or fitness, which are not bad terms, they're just incomplete terms to yes. wellness or well-being, because that that incorporates everything you said, the spirituality, you know, sleep, stress management, movement, relationships, you know, vocational fulfillment, so on and so forth. It, it is, it's the whole person. We need and and I think that this gets into you know some of the solutions yes. to this. Um, because it part of it is the realization that it is the whole person. Yeah. And I almost think like even the word wellness is becoming bastardized in some way and that it's being used in weird product placement and things of that nature. And it's somewhat toxic on some level. It depends on sometimes you get somebody who has a platform and takes that word and makes it a weird situation. I think it's, you know, we talked about it in the past, like holistic, you know, the whole person. Mm -hmm. And I think if whenever I do intakes with people, you know, it's always the same thing. It's like, I want to lose weight. I'm like, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to make you healthy. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, that's one component 
one component of something. But listen, you and I sitting here, if you and I are in great condition and we have a, a, a good approach to eating that feels native to us, that is sustainable to us, but we have poor coping mechanism, we sleep horribly, uh, we just trash our environment around us. That's not a, we're not healthy people. You got it. We are yeah. not healthy people. It's, it's just incomplete to say that I, I'm, I'm jacked. I, I have a great nutritional approach. Boom. I'm done. I'm like, yeah, but you're in a bad re personal relationship. That stress is just destroying you from the inside out. Like we have to change healthcare to whole care. Yeah. Yes. Whole yeah. care policy, yeah. not just, you know, Hey, you need to drop some, some pounds. You need to eat and the doctors do it. They go on. I, I train plenty of physicians and stuff, man. They have a hard job too. I don't want to diminish this, but if you're seeing 40, 50 people in a short amount of time, yeah. and then you're telling them they need to eat better. They need to exercise more honestly. And you got five minutes for them. And then you're not well-versed in that aspect yourself. I mean, what are you doing? It's yeah. not helping, you know, well, yeah, yeah, you nailed it. And hey, I, the, the idea of whole care, I, I, I love that thought. And so, you know, I think when we start to say, okay, you know, what, what are the solutions here? Well, you know, one of the solutions is, you know, the, what is it, uh, you know, uh, what's the, you know, uh, penny for, for, for uh, prevention, like, you know, yeah, uh, I, know so, I don't know what that, yeah. there's, there's the, the metaphor I'm trying to get. Somebody here. will tell us. <laughs> yes, exactly. Somebody will. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, we need to incentivize you know, and reimburse for, you know, prevention and early management of these conditions when, when we identify them. Um, I mean, you know, oh, it's an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's, 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 that was, <laughs> it came up, was it came up. <laughs> I knew it was gonna, I knew it was going to get there. We'll edit that the right way. Um, and if we do that right up front, we, we spend a fraction of what we spend, you know, on the downstream consequences. But, you know, in order to do that, we need changes to some of the fundamental technology. Uh, you know, right now, electronic medical or electronic health records, you know, they're in an almost untouchable silo. You know, we need to lobby for more open access to that, which I think you're going to see more and more lobbying in that because of the wearable devices. Um, yes. I know InBody, in as example, InBody, in which is a uh, sophisticated form of biological impedance analysis for body comp analysis, um, they are now going to have an EMR integration. So they can step in the right direction, but we need, we need that to be opened up more. We need you know, Epic and Cerner and all those companies to be willing to provide open access. You know, we, we need billing and, and CPT codes to fund you know, multidisciplinary care teams. And what you just said was really what you know, kind of triggered me to, to really hit on this point right now is that the physician is always going to have a limited amount of time because they have a very specific skill set and they need to be working at the top of their license, which means that they need to have the ability to refer that particular patient to you know, maybe a mental health professional to address those issues, maybe a dietitian to address nutrition issues, an exercise professional to address those issues. And those individuals need to be reimbursed in a, in a very you know, consistent fashion with the level of care you know, that they're giving. But again, you'll see last episode where we need to know what to do and produce the right outcomes and so on. But you know, that, that needs to happen. We need to be able to fund those multidisciplinary teams. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine that I do some work for, um, they're a great group that pushes towards this. And we know that multidisciplinary care 
works, but it's rarely funded adequately. And then, you know, the, the last thing we really need is, is that we need unified advocacy uh, from both the fitness industry and the healthcare industry. Like we need to come together and say that, you know, we're, we're not adversaries. We're, we are part of the solution to each other's problems. Here we are. How, how can we make this happen? It goes back to what we talked about in the last episode. It's collaboration. So those are some, I think, some, some solutions to this in the short term. But I think a lot of it, honestly, really, Darren, is it's just it's advocacy. And it's bagging yeah. the drum for collaborative advocacy with our lawmakers and you know, with the with the insurers, both you know, private and public. Like we have to get on the same page. I think so. And you know, it it feels difficult sometimes because especially in our current state, we have such this uh, malcontent with a lot of our political systems and and, and um, policies and how we get through the sludge of passing legislation and different things and putting aside other issues and saying, hey, listen, this affects all people. The health of all people is it should be important to all people. This mm-hmm. doesn't go on a certain side of a certain equation. This is a universal language. Yeah. Health. It's a universal language for all humans. It's a universal language for our planet. I mean, so how do we come together for something that's really important and I think I feel like there's some movement. I'm, the more I talk to people, like I, I've made it a mission to talk to a lot of public health officials and different people. And I know you talk on your podcast with a lot of great people who are doing a yeah. lot of great things. And I think if you actually spend the time talking to people in these positions, you'll feel more optimistic about what's happening. It's just that progress is often very slow. Mm-hmm. It's slow, man. And it's in a, in a society where we want everything very quickly like we want do we want to get somewhere quick we want our food to come to us quick we want to uberize everything you got it this is a sludgy situation man it's gonna take some time but it's but it's 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 worth the fight because it's the only fight to have right this is this is the fight for you know the the health of of our planet and of our society and like if you do not have your health nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. I don't care what it is. Your health is the foundation for all enjoyment and fulfillment in life. And it's, it's something that too many people are deprived of. Like I, I will say, you know, in a very apolitical way that I think health is a fundamental human right. And we have to do whatever we can in this country from a, a policy standpoint to make that a reality. But it starts by getting educated, and then after you're educated, it starts by collaborating with like-minded people, just like we're doing here. And then it's about unified advocacy. It, 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 our political process, despite how messed up people think it is right now, it does work. Like if you are willing to advocate hard enough and long enough and collaborate enough, it, it will work. It will exert pressure on the lawmakers to make a change. And, and there's lots of opportunities out there to do this nowadays. And, and I'm sure some of our other guests will talk about that. But yeah. The b- bottom line is, is that I know this discussion started out complicated and then in the middle, <laughs> and then in the middle sounded, uh, you know, a little doom and gloom, but there is a positive path here. And I, I think it's there for the taking. We just like our entire conversation, you have to be willing to take action collectively. And it's us, it's kind of a, it's part of the kind of the microcosm of what happens in society is generally a lot of great things happen when a lot of difficult things happen. You got it. At the same time. I and mean, how many times have you heard of maybe some tragic situation where 
uh, there has been fatalities or injuries and someone steps up and says, I'm going to work hard, just regular citizen to get this bill passed or this law passed. So no one else will have to feel the pain that I felt in this tragedy. It's available, but it's kind of, it's kind of the thing we've always been working with, with, with health and fitness is getting people to actually want to take care of themselves requires work and requires a better system. And it's going to require the same of us. Yes. All people, all hands on deck, all hands on deck. As I, I think he'll be on this, uh, Dr. Cedric Bryan, you know, him. I know him is he said, you know, last time I talked to him, maybe a month ago, he was like, Darian, I'm tired of us just talking about stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. We got to do something like we just be in we're in meetings and we talk a lot and I'm in meetings, too. And there's a lot of talking, but we got to do something. And that's going to require time and a lot of effort. You know, yeah, pe- people I often say people are long on ideas, but they're short on action. Yeah. And, you know, we 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 need action. I've had the same conversation with so many people. It's just we don't need another white paper. We don't need <laughs> another position stand. I mean, I'm quoting my good friend, Tony Moreno here, who's a a physical literacy researcher. We don't need any of that. Like we know all of this, we're just not doing it. And now, now is the time to do. And I think you and I can both agree that, you know, we can influence, you know, not a lot outside of our industry, but I do think we hope to influence things, you know, inside of our industry. So I, I do think our industry can start the evolution maybe faster and a little bit more um, rapidly than healthcare or politics because we're we're smaller and we're commercial and we're, we're able to pivot. Have you been waiting for just the right job? Then welcome to the end of your search. Amazon has seasonal warehouse jobs in your area, and now is a great time to apply. You can start getting paid right away and work close to home. Applying is easy. You don't even need an interview. So what are you waiting for? Come join the team and get a great seasonal job offer today. Visit Amazon.com hiring. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.